Victor Sheldon to, to come up here. Victor is a dear friend. Uh, he's been a part of our church for several years. Um, if you don't know him, that may be because he's also a chaplain with uh, the Navy, and so he is um, he has been on duty. He was posted in Djibouti and, uh, for a year, and then he was back for a little while, uh, and then he received his next uh, assignment, which was to go and serve in Louisiana uh, for this coming calendar year. And so we are, it's our, our pleasure whenever we get Victor back in town to get time with him, and, uh, and it's our pleasure to welcome him to come up and preach God's Word to us. So Victor, I'll invite you to come on up, and uh, let's welcome Victor. Thanks, brother. Well, it's a great joy to be with you and to be back here. Um, there were, as I've shared with Tommy and others, there were some very dark days um, in Djibouti, some wonderful days, but also some, some great challenges. And uh, the one thing that kept me sort of going from day in and day out are the prayers of this church family. And uh, my own uh, conviction that, that uh, God would bring me back safely home. So uh, thank you. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for having me. Uh, th th I now realize why well, you all up here at the front, these lights are incredibly bright. And so I am, uh, yes, I, I can't see you, but I trust you can see me. So, well, let's, uh, let's pray together and we'll look at our, our uh, scripture for today and uh, explore together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Thou Son of God and Son of Man, Lord, as we have sung, we do, we wait for You. We long for You. For You alone are our hope. Gracious God, I ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would grant us grace that what we say with our lips, we may believe in our hearts. And what we believe in our hearts, that we might show forth in our lives. All this to your great honor and glory, through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, <clears throat> a number of years ago, my father decided to take uh, my mom, my brother, and I on the uh, Great East Coast American History Tour. And uh, I've come to love history. My father does. I do. And, and uh, uh, I think all of our family are enamored with history. But we made our way up the uh, East Coast uh, from the South, and we stopped at uh, every single battlefield or historic monument you could possibly imagine. And so by the time we finally reached uh, New York City, uh, we were all uh, a bit exhausted, but uh, still enthralled in, in all the newness and everything that we were seeing. And even as a young boy, I remember that first um, arrival and trip into New York City. And this was back Goodness gracious, this was back in the late 60s or early 70s. 
And my father, with uh, I think the, the Alabama plates at that time, uh, had Heart of Dixie on the, on the bottom of them. So my father, you know, a smart man that he is and never asking for directions, took the wrong turn off the off-ramp up there and we ended up in Harlem. And uh, I remember uh, the anxiety, you could feel the anxiety level in the car rising because that was a, a dangerous time uh, in, in the city and in Harlem at that time. And, and I remember my mom um, rolling down the window and asking a very kind um, elderly uh, African-American black gentleman, um, please, sir, could you, could you help us get, get out of here and find our way? And we did. But I remember that first experience of going to New York City and, and just being so impressed with everything. And I remember we went there to see a, a show called Three on a Match. It was, a, uh, it was a, um, one of these game shows that uh, was held at NBC Studios at 30 Rockefeller Center. And uh, I, remember that, I remember that experience and seeing that. But I remember most about the city was the busyness, the energy, and, um, and how smartly dressed all the people were. It was very impressive. And of course, the most impressive thing to me as a young boy being in Manhattan for the first time was the majesty, the grandeur, the awesomeness of the buildings. I mean, I remember walking up as, as a young boy and just, you know, just looking up and you keep looking up and up and up and up and up. And just the, the height and expanse of the buildings. And I remember thinking to myself, how in the world did people do this? How could people make these buildings and create this incredible space? I was in awe, awestruck with the majesty and grandeur of the cityscape of New York City. Now Mark chapter 13, which we read the last uh, section from this morning, opens with a scene of Jesus and, his, and one of his followers as they are leaving the temple, the temple compound in Jerusalem. In fact, let me read to you in verse uh, 1 of Mark 13. And as Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. The temple was uh, an incredible space. It was uh, something to behold. Perhaps um, you could relate to it. If Those of you who visited New York City, you may recall your own first experience there and what impressed you with that. Or if you've not been to, uh, to New York City, perhaps you remember the first time you saw our nation's capital. Perhaps it was the National Cathedral. Or if you've had the opportunity to travel out west and, and driven from the east to the west and seen the Rocky Mountains as they rise up uh, behind the city of Denver. It just takes your breath away. It's just an, an incredible experience, awe-inspiring that there is something here greater than ourselves. And you get a sense, uh, at least I did, of, of the transcendence of things in the world. I was left with a sense of both excitement, but also it humbled me. It reminded me of my humanness and also a sense of quiet confidence in the world around me. In Mark chapter 13, verse 2, after that uh, follower of Jesus, one of his disciples says to him and exclaims about the, the temple and the, the, uh, the buildings and the stones, Jesus replies to him, 
Do you see these great buildings? I tell you the truth. There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Everything will be destroyed. Well, you can imagine um, what the reaction of that first follower, that early disciple of Jesus, how he must have responded when he heard that. Because the temple, I don't know if you know much about the temple. I know a little bit, and I want to learn more. But scholars tell us that, that the temple, the outside compound or wall of the temple, the western wall particularly, was probably about four to five uh, football fields in length. And uh, if you traveled to Jerusalem as a, as a spiritual pilgrim during the feast, the festivals, and the holidays, as you're moving towards Jerusalem, Jerusalem is up. You go up and into Jerusalem. And it would be incredible. You could have seen the temple compound and the temple itself, the exterior of the Holy of Holies, you could have seen it from a distance. And as a follower of Yahweh, it would have, it would have encouraged your heart. It would have lifted your spirits to see the magnificence, the beauty, the awe, the wonder of that temple, which is the seat of your faith and the God whom you worship. So it must have been quite a shock to that early disciple, that follower of Jesus, to hear the Lord say, do you see these buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another. Well, it begs the question, I think, for us is where do you and I, where do we find a sense of, of peace and security? Where do you find your confidence and your trust? Many people find it in the created order, in the sense of, of the created creation without, outside of us, like the Rocky Mountains. Others may find their peace and security, their confidence and trust in their family, in the relationships which are anchors for them. Some would look to government, look to government and the civil realm for security and peace and confidence. Others look to religion as a source of strength. Still others might look to their possessions. You know, the one with the most toys at the end wins. Some look to, to what they have for their security. Others may look to their retirement account, to their 401k or their investments. In times of stress and uncertainty, we, we tend to cling to what we know and what we trust because that's where we find our security. What if someday all that you knew and trusted and believed was secure was taken away? I remember I was a young uh, clergyman, a young minister, um, a curate, an assistant um, at, uh, at a downtown, a beautiful downtown church, and our, our young adults were uh, going on a walk for muscular dystrophy. And uh, I told my dad, because uh, I had a big wedding that night, that evening I was officiating, and I said, Dad, you, you, you go ahead and go on the walk uh, with them, and, and I'll meet you back at the house, and, and then uh, we'll, uh, we'll go from there. And so I remember Dad coming back from the walk for muscular dystrophy and, and feeling so uh, just not sweating and 
not feeling himself. And so I called a friend from the, uh, from the church, from the parish, who was a physician, uh, and Andy came over and he checked my dad out and, and he said to my dad, whose name is Joe, and, and he said to me, Victor, I, we, I think we need to get your dad um, to the emergency room right away. So dad followed me in, in, in his car down to the emergency room of the hospital and then I went on to, to take care of the wedding. I came back thinking his car would not be there uh, in the ER parking lot any longer and and so I, I, I rolled back in, I saw his car, I was surprised, and I walked into the ER and dressed like this, you know, with collar and everything on, and uh, one of the nurses pulled me aside, she grabbed me, and she said, I, I've, got, I've got to tell you something. I need to tell you that your dad has had a serious heart attack. What? What? And she took me up into the ICU. Thankfully, my dad made it through that, um, that uh, experience and that sort of dark night of the soul. But that was the first time that I realized my father would not live forever. I never knew, really knew and experienced that, that one day my dad would pass away. That never was made real to me until that experience. So what, what would you do? How would you react if everything all that you trusted and put your confidence in someday is taken away. This, at least in part, is the point of Mark chapter 13. It's often called Mark's little apocalypse, Mark chapter 13. It's a, a distillation, if you will, a condensed version uh, of the main points uh, of the book of Revelation. And that's why it's often called Mark's little apocalypse. Now, I've, I've sort of drawn the title for this sermon uh, as awake, alert, and unafraid. But it could also be titled unexpected, unplanned, and unwelcome. I, um, I, I remember um, holding a dinner party many years ago. I, I love dinner parties, um, and, uh, uh, but I, I don't like to host them. Um, <laughs> I'm never, and, and uh, guys and gals, I don't know how you all do it. I, I stand amazed at you, uh, those of you who can, can cook and greet and entertain and be back. I can't do it. I've tried, and it stresses me out to the max. And I remember uh, having people over for a dinner party, and I wanted, you know, wanted everything to be right. And I was busy, and I was behind, as is typical for me, late for everything, and I remember the, the first group of folks came to the door and knocked on the door. I opened the door in horror to see it, it, that it was them, it was my, some of my guests. And I told them, I said, look, I'm not ready for you yet. Go away. Go away. Come, come back in 30 minutes. And I literally, I did that. I said, just, you know, drive around the block, uh, visit the neighborhood. Well, it, it's this kind of, of experience that, that um, Jesus wants to prevent uh, in one sense that he is coming again he will return in power and great glory and when the son of man returns will he find faith on the earth will we be ready will we welcome him will his agenda and his timing and his coming is that more important or is my dinner party, my career, 
my relational pursuits, my acquiring possessions, my investments, or my striving for whatever, is that more important than his second coming? Well, I want to look briefly at the context this morning of, of this section of Mark chapter 13, uh, verses 27 and following. And I want to explore with you these main points or these sort of life lessons, I think, that Jesus teaches us and leaves us with about being awake, alert, but also unafraid. For, for like the temple that is going to be torn apart, stone upon stone taken down, it seems to me that, that uh, Jesus is telling us in this section of Mark chapter 13 that the building blocks, the bedrock of both society, culture, nature, and even our personal lives, everything is going to be shaken. Everything is going to be shaken. And ultimately, everything is going to be swept away. This is why we call it the end times. The end times. I, I love the... Uh, um, I saw a bumper sticker or heard about a bumper sticker, which I think is absolutely perfect. I mean, I, I love Washington, D.C., and I've, I've worked here in the Pentagon and, and uh, had two tours of duty here. And I'm coming back after this next year. I'm on a one-year assignment to New Orleans, but I'm coming back and uh, planting myself here, God willing. So I love, I love D.C. There's wonderful things about D.C., but I think this sort of bumper sticker really sort of encapsulates my own experience of D.C. Uh, Jesus is coming back soon. Everybody, look busy. I thought that was good. You don't agree. Hey, it's not my fault. Jesus says that everything is going to be shaken. Everything is going to be swept away. And a time will come, he says earlier in Mark chapter 13, that there will rise up false religious leaders, messiahs of a, of a type, who will lead people astray. That the world will experience war and strife and conflict as it's never known. That there will be natural disasters and humanitarian crises. That for us, his followers, yes, there will be persecution and intense suffering. And finally, Jesus says in Mark 13 that there will be betrayal, even within families. It, it would make the French Revolution look like something minor in comparison. Brother will betray brother. Mother will betray daughter. Children will betray their parents. So all of society, everything just completely comes unglued. Every stone is taken down. And yet, what remains? Does anything remain? Jesus tells us, yes. This is what remains. Well, I'm looking for the exact, uh, 
Well, anyway, in, in Mark chapter 13, he tells us what does remain. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, he says, will not pass away. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and this is marvelous in our eyes. Brothers and sisters, when all is shaken and swept away, the only thing that remains, the only thing that will remain, is Jesus Christ and his body, the church. And yet, beloved, the only, the only way you will come to know and experience and learn that Jesus Christ is all you need is until you're put in a position, in a situation in which Jesus Christ really is all you have. He's all you have. Christ and his church are all you have. And then you'll discover that his words are true. He really is all you need. Well, all of this begs the question, I think, of, of as, as Dan was praying and alluding to, um, what, what are we to do with this? Okay, what, how are we to respond? How, can we prepare? I mean, what, what, how do we think and get our minds around this? Uh, you know, for, for many uh, Christians, for many believers, well-meaning believers, the second coming seems like light years away. Now, most of you all here this morning, you're, you're in the, um, maybe not the first quarter of your lives, but you're in the early part, perhaps, hopefully, God willing, you're in the early second quarter of your lives. And, and I, I'm, in, I'm in the start of my fourth quarter, right? Probably. So all of this is, is closer to me. It's much closer to me. But nevertheless, it impacts us both the same. But some Christians fall into the danger or the temptation to thinking that, well, the second coming, since it's been so delayed, I mean, it, it could be months, it could be years, it could be decades, it could be centuries. So if the second coming is that far away, how and why should it have any impact on me? What difference does it make? Well, Mark's gospel and this section in chapter 13 really sort of, sort of drops a bomb, if you will, into the middle of all that. And Mark's point is that since the time is unknown, and it is, neither the son, the son does not know the hour, only the Father. But since the time is unknown, it could be today. It could be this evening. It could be at midnight or at sunrise. And Jesus warns us not to slip into complacency, into that, um, that um, sort of mindset, if you will, of, of one of my great heroes, Scarlett O'Hara from Gone with the Wind. Her phrase, if you haven't read the book, it's a great read. I love the book. The movie is, is fantastic, but the book is, is great. And Scarlett, throughout the book, her, her mantra is, I'm not going to think about that today. I'll think about that tomorrow, for tomorrow is another day. 
So she refuses to put off, and she continues to put off that which is most pressing for her. But Mark, Mark encourages us, the Lord encourages us through, uh, through the Gospel of Mark to be awake, to be alert, and to be unafraid. Well, let's look at those things. What does it mean to be awake? To be awake. C.S. Lewis wrote that uh, we live in a world that is spiritually deaf, almost as if the world is asleep. The Bible tells us that um, in many times and in many places, there really is no fear of God. There is no fear of God. And what I told um, uh, dear friends and, and colleagues, and I, I visited some of the most remotest parts of Africa. I mean, the middle of the jungle, in the Congo, the Central African Republic, South Sudan, uh, places where, you know, no one would normally ever go. And they asked me about our life in the West, and particularly in America. And, and I, I shared with them what I, I love about you all and just being with you is that you know, you, you know you feel daily uh, your need for God. We in the West, we, we really have no, no need of Him. And so many, so many today just dis dismiss, um, oh, they give lip service and credence to it, but they dismiss the existence and the power of God. So much of our culture today and our world is essentially asleep. And to be asleep means that you're unaware of what's happening around you. Friday afternoon, I was um, so tired and I was checking into a hotel near the Pentagon and uh, the room wasn't ready, so I sat down on the, the comfortable couch in the lobby and I promptly fell asleep. I mean, I fell asleep. And I woke up to the sound of laughter. I could hear a couple of, there were old people like me too, and there, there, there were a couple of people laughing at me and kind of looking, looking at me. Well, to fall asleep is to lose sight of your surroundings and the world around you. It's to, um, to fall into your own dream state and your own created world. It's asleep to me, it means asleep means to be un, unable or unwilling to respond. When you're asleep, you're in your own world. And Jesus tells us, don't fall asleep. Don't become complacent. Stay awake. Stay aware of the world around you. To be awake is to see. Of course, the, the, uh, the metaphor for sight is so powerful and popular in the Scriptures and particularly in the Gospels. To be awake is to see the world around you as it is but also to see it through the eyes of your faith, to see it as God sees it. To be awake is to be able to respond to what you see. And to be awake is to be on guard, on guard. And I've got to tell you, as one who has um, cared for and been the chaplain or pastor for a lot of young men and women who stand guard duty uh, around the world, I can tell you that being on guard is often somewhat 
can be kind of boring. You know, it's not flashy. Uh, it's not sexy. Uh, you know, it, it's your, your standing guard duty for four hours. And yet, is being on guard, is it essential? Absolutely. Is it important? You better believe it. And if someone falls asleep on guard duty, that, that's, that's a punishable offense because you put us all in jeopardy and at risk. And so to be on guard means, means to be aware and alert to the situation around you. And then Jesus tells us, as he's saying to, to stay awake, he's also reminding us to stay alert as we are awake, to be aware. He uses the analogy of the fig tree. You know, when you go out uh, in, the, in, in the spring, uh, early spring, you begin to see the leaves bud and the trees. I, I drove down the GW Parkway, which I love yesterday, and, uh, you know, uh, one, I forgot, is it, I've forgotten the song, All the Leaves Are Brown. Uh, who sang that? I forgot. Forget who, who was that? Yeah, the moms of right, right. I just I love that song. All the leaves are brown, and I found myself singing that again. And and I, I love the you know I love the, the 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 brownness, if you will, but also look forward to the time when spring will come again, and those beautiful leaves and trees will bud. And George uh, George Washington Parkway is absolutely gorgeous to drive down. Jesus tells the story of the fig tree because he wants us to be aware of what's going on in the world around us. You know, the Bible, I know you all know this. I know Tommy and Dan have preached about this and spoken to it. That, that the, the Bible, the, the New Testament, uses two words for time, right? We have, we have kairos, kairos time. Sorry, we have chronos, I'm sorry. We have chronos time. And then we have Kairos time, which is God's time. And Kairos time is a, is, a, is a moment in time, a special moment in time. And you know, if you, miss, if you missed your Kronos, if you missed your flight, as I've done before, <laughs> wait, open the, please open the door. If you miss your Kronos time, you can probably book another flight. But if you miss Cairo's time, which I almost did this summer, that was on a cruise when the ship set sail. And when the ship is gone, brothers and sisters, it isn't coming back. <laughs> so Cairo's time is, is that time that is a moment that you don't want to miss. Jesus tells us to be aware of the times in which we live. You know, I've done, I've done a bit of reflecting uh, over this um, past few weeks, and as we see just so much turmoil going, going on, and, and just trying to step back from, from, from the news feed and all that's happening, and, and seeing, uh, you know, so much happening, and just asking the question, Lord, what, what's going on here? What's happening here? Lord, what's your, what's your take on all this? What's your perspective? How am I to, to understand this? And I think as we look and reflect on this passage in the world around us today, we see that there is division going on. There's division between the races. 
There's a division between men and women, between the sexes. Clearly, in I experience, there's a great division between nations. And we find division even at the heart of families and the relationships that we value the most. It's a critical time, and to know the times in which we live is the first, first portion of being aware. Being aware also means simply, simply doing our duty. Simply doing our duty. A friend of mine used to say that the, the, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. To be about the great commission and the great commandment, right? Loving God and loving people. And how that, how that works itself out in each of our unique uh, circumstances and situations. And looking for opportunities to share our faith. To communicate the hope that we have within us. And yet always, always doing it with gentleness, reverence, respect. But we have an opportunity to tell people about Jesus, who he is, and why he means so much to us and what he's done for us, and that they can have the same. I, I heard so many times I hear from uh, sailors and soldiers, Marines, and and. Uh, and even some of our uh, general officers, some of our leading, um, leading military figures, that, that, you know, and I don't claim to have a great faith, but, but they would say, oh, chaplain, I, I, wish, I wish I had your faith. And my response to them is always, we, you can. You can. You can have the same faith, the same trust, the same experience. Simply doing our duty, being faithful in the, in the little, being on guard. It's not exciting, it's often boring, but it's essential. And third, and, and to, be, to be aware is to, to, be, to stay connected, to stay connected to Christ and his body. You know, the, the great enemy of our soul, the, one of the things that he wants to do, uh, without a doubt, is to not only divide divide people and everything, but he wants to isolate us. He wants to isolate us from the body of believers, from the church. And so be very aware of the temptation to, and especially if you're more of an introvert or you're dealing with difficult circumstances in your own life, that there's always a temptation to become isolated and to move away from Christ and his church. But Jesus reminds us to stay connected, to stay alert, to stay aware. Well, in this um, Advent season, it's a season of preparation, as Dan mentioned, as we are singing about and will continue over the next four Sundays. It's a season of preparation, and yet we're told that ultimately everything will be swept away, that in the second coming, Christ will return. Advent is for us uh, in the church, it, it is a unique spiritual tool from God's toolbox. 
You know, Martin, one of the, one of the, uh, one of the songs we read, uh, we sang rather, the words came from St. Ambrose and from Martin Luther. And Martin Luther described the human condition. He said the heart, the heart is like an idol factory. I-D-O-L, idol factory. And Advent is God's righteous hammer to smash the idols of our hearts, the idols of my own heart. When my agenda, my pursuits become so much more important than Christ and his work in the world and in my life. Advent is a, uh, is a reminder, it's a, a wake-up call to all of us as believers. Now, Advent finally can, can leave us uh, in these scripture readings today. They may leave you feeling uh, anxious or perhaps a bit fearful. Maybe you discover that, uh, as I've done in the past, that, Lord, I forgive me, I, I often want what I want more than what you want. And Lord, I don't know how to I don't know how to I don't know how to let go of some of these things. I, I don't I don't know how to want more of what, what you want, but I but I, I think I want that. I do want that. Jesus, beloved, wants us to be not only uh, awake and alert, but he also wants us to be unafraid. Unafraid. Now I am I am no hero, far from it. But I was walking in the Pentagon uh, yesterday, a Friday, a Friday afternoon, and there was someone there who I do not want to see. I just, I don't want to see him. And that tells me that, that uh, I probably need to see him. <laughs> I probably need to be reconciled with him if there's anything between us. But I didn't want to see him, and I was going to walk down a passageway that, that I might have seen him. And I, I heard this scripture again, this Mark chapter 13. Be awake, be alert, but don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So I said, Lord, I'm not going to be afraid. You're in charge. You're in control. If I run into him, so be it. And we'll deal with it then with your help. But if not, there'll be another time. Jesus wants us to be unafraid, and that's why he tells us ahead of time of what's going to take place. He describes it as a man going on a journey. A man going on a journey who puts his servants in charge of many things and leaves the watchman on guard. In Mark chapter 13, Jesus tells us what is going to occur. And he wants us to be unafraid. In fact, I love um, every year, I saw in Djibouti, which was just such a blessing, I'm such a dope, but I, I love It's a Wonderful Life. I love it. In the middle of the darkness in Djibouti, and some really difficult times, they decided to put that movie up on a big screen, uh, not a big screen, a, a massive, they, they just portrayed it on some kind of wall or something so all of us could watch that movie. It's a Wonderful Life. 
And Joseph, who's the angel in that movie, he says the very things, same things that uh, we find in Scripture whenever God's people are afraid, whenever we have an encounter with the divine, whenever we have a transcendent experience, whenever an angel descends and speaks to a human being, what's the first response? Fear. And you know what the word out of every angel that appears, every angel says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you great tidings. Great tidings. Great tidings. Do not be afraid. Often, uh, I've served uh, half my career in the Marines, and... Um, the Marines, uh, before they go on a patrol, or particularly if they're in a hostile environment and potentially will um, run into a, a firefight, uh, insurgents and combat, uh, Marines and, and soldiers, they will always, uh, almost uh, without fail, if their chaplain, their unit chaplain is there, they'll have that, that chaplain come kind of huddle with them. And they'll want to have a, a prayer together and I found that the, the Marines will often ask me, they said, chap, they, they call chaplains chaps. And, and they say, chaps, can you, can you give us a devotional thought? Can you give us a word, something we can just take with us? And uh, I remember um, one of the Marines, as I recall, uh, asking, you know, um, hey, chaps, could you, could you just distill the whole Bible down for us and, and just, you know, a couple of, Big key points, PowerPoints, bullet points. And I said, okay, guys, here, here's, here's where we're at. There are two great themes to the Bible. The first is that God loves you. Absolutely. He loves you. And because he loves you, you can choose to trust him if you want to. But the second great theme of the Bible is equally true, and just as poignant, and that is this. I'm God, and you're not. You see, beloved, I believe this whole life, this whole life's journey, is part of its design to help us come to grips with the fact that, uh, that there is a God who does love us and is in control and that no matter what happens, you're ultimately safe with him. But you know what I've also discovered? You only trust a person to the extent that you know them. To the extent that you know them. And all of life, all of life, is designed by a heavenly father who loves you dearly, wants the best for you. But he's designed life so that you and I will have opportunities to get to know him. As I said, Jesus Christ is all you need. Well, you'll never come to know, experience, or perhaps even believe that until Jesus Christ is all that you have. Your past is forgiven. Your future is now secure in Christ. And so you can experience his peace in the present moment. Your past forgiven, your future secure, you can experience his peace in the present moment.
Finally, I, I still love, I must tell you, I still love to visit New York City. It is an amazing town. And some of my dearest friends live there. And um, it's quite a place. And I still am awestruck by the buildings and the, the wonder of it all. And every time I'm, I'm, I'm flying in and landing, particularly at Newark, uh, if I've got a window seat on the left side of the plane and it's a landing from the northwest, I know the flight pattern now, um, you know, I can look out the window if it's a clear day, I can see Manhattan. And I'm, I'm, I'm a Chrysler, I'm a Chrysler, uh, uh, Chrysler building of nut. You know, I love the Chrysler building. And so at all, my heart just skips a beat when I come into New York City and I can look over and just get a glimpse of the Chrysler building, that Art Deco tower, and maybe the sun is shining on it and is lit it up. But I now have come to know, not as a young boy, but now as, a, as an older man, that someday all of that will be swept away. That as beautiful as it is, as wonderful as it is, as secure as it seems, it's not going to last. And it's not the place for me to put my hope. In Mark's gospel, twice the word schizo is used. I suppose it's where we get schizophrenic from. But the, the schizo in, in the scriptures in the New Testament Greek means a, a, a tearing, a tearing apart or, or a rendering, a, a separating, a rendering so an opening can be made. That word schizo is only used two times in Mark's gospel. At the very beginning, at the baptism of Jesus, we're told that the, the heavens are schizoid, are schizo. They're opened. The heavens are opened. And the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. The other time we're told that schizo is used uh, is at the very end, on the cross, at the death of Jesus. Mark tells us, and he records, that the, the curtain in the temple which separated everyone from the Holy of Holies, that the curtain and temple is torn from top to bottom, that the way of God is no longer to be found in a temple, even a beautiful temple, a beautiful structure made by man. No longer will we find God in the temple. We find God in a manger. We find God on a cross. We find God not here, but in an empty tomb. And together as Christians, we say Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. Amen. Let's pray together, shall we? Well, Father in heaven, uh, Lord, I know that... Um, I've covered a lot of ground, and God, I know that you've uh, certainly touched my own life with this uh, challenge at the beginning of Advent, both a challenge, Lord, uh, to turn my life over to you more and more as best I can with your help, but also a comfort, a comfort to know, Lord Jesus, that uh, not only do you love me, but my life is really secure in your hands. And so we do say, come Lord Jesus, 
Help us during this season of Advent to make a place hearts prepared for you and to welcome and receive you again. We praise and bless you now and pray these things in your holy name.